Praise his holy name. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory to the Lord our God, for he is wonderful. If we had 10,000 tongues, we couldn't praise him enough. Amen. Bless his holy name. We ask that you would turn your Bibles this morning to the sixth chapter of John, verses 47 through 59. That's John chapter 6, verses 47 through 59. And if you found the sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, glory. Bless his holy name. And would you stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. John 6, 47 through 59. And the word of God says this. Truly, truly, I said to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I said to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Compridium. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, but most importantly, the understanding and living of his holy word. You may be seated. There was once a soldier in Napoleon's army, a man that was incredibly devoted and enthusiastically attached to Napoleon. During a battle, he was mortally wounded. As he struggled for his last breaths, 
he asked that Napoleon would come to his tent. As he lay dying in his tent, the poor man thought that Napoleon could do anything. But as this dying man fell into the cold and merciless hands of death and felt those hands drawing him irresistibly behind that dark curtain of this unseen world, he was heard to shout out, Save me, Napoleon! Save me! In this his hour of death, the soldier discovered that even as powerful as Napoleon was, he could not save him or give him physical life. But this morning in the passage that we are going to continue in the book of John chapter 6, we see that Jesus Christ, the one who came down from heaven as the bread of life, can save us. Christ has the power to give us both physical and spiritual life, and he has the power to give it to us in an everlasting portion. This week we found ourselves in the third part of this sermon, I am the bread of life. We have learned thus far in the last two weeks that Jesus fed 5,000 with just five barley loaves and two fish. That prompted those people to seek him even the more that they might receive not just who Jesus was, but they might receive more food. Jesus responds to these people by telling them, don't look for temporary food that perishes, but seek the food that lasts forever. The food that God has commissioned the very Son of Man to give his people. At this point, the crowd asked, well, Jesus, what must we do? What must we do to do the works of God? that we might earn eternal life. You see, there's a Jewish belief in the law that the law is the bread that God gives. So they were asking, what more of the works of the Mosaic law could they do so that they might obtain eternal life? Christ doesn't disagree that they need to do something to receive this life-giving food to receive eternal life, but it's not following the law, the works of the law, but it is rather loosening their hold on life and putting their total belief and trust in him. John 6, 29 says it this way, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You see, Jesus is the true manna, the manna that preserves, protects, and provides substance. In part two of I Am the Bread of Life, Jesus taught us that he has the ability to end our hunger and thirst. If we come to him, we will never be turned away. He shows us that he is our savior. He has a flawless record. He has not lost one of the gifts that God has given to him. Remember, everyone that believes in Christ Jesus, we are gifts to Jesus from God the Father. 
and he makes a greater promise. He promises to raise each and every one of us up on the last day to the glory of the resurrection. Christ here gives us the assurance that everyone that comes to him only comes to him because the Father has drawn them. He taught us that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Now this morning we find ourselves here in this passage and Jesus is going to show us that he is this living bread that came down from heaven. He's going to show us that his flesh is true food that nourishes us, that grows us. He's also going to show us that everyone that feeds on him, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Let us pray. Dear Holy and Glorious Father, we ask that you will instill in us today the certainty of one of the central messages of the gospel, which is you have sent your Son, our Savior, the very bread of life, down from heaven, that we might be saved, fed, and redeemed. It is in Jesus who has come down from heaven that we are saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from your wrath that is sure to come upon all of those who have rejected your name, refused to repent, and remained in their unbelief. It is Jesus Christ who has come down from heaven to feed us the true manna, that our faith may flourish, that our faith may be furthered, and that our faith might not fail. It is Jesus who has come down from heaven to redeem us, to revive us, to rescue us from this wicked world which has gone mad because of sin. Oh God, let the redeem of the Lord says so with a shout of victory for your glory for all the things that you have done. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior that we ask it all, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's the living bread that has come down from heaven. Join me here in John 6, 47 through 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So once again, we see Jesus here emphatically repeating a thought that is first found in John 3.15 when he says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life though this is a strong, has a strong note of predestination in it, and which is, is also clearly heard in the preceding verses, if you listen closely, there is an implicit invitation here to believe Jesus. There's also an implicit warning against disbelief, unbelief. This statement strips away all those would-be disciples of all of their pretensions, of all of their uh, 
aims of all of their agendas and their ability to believe in themselves rather than believe in Jesus. Because those who believe in Jesus do not approach Jesus as if they were doing him a favor because they know who he is. They approach Jesus with great reverence, giving him the glory for all the things that he has done. Those who approach him like this believe in him, and they believe in him because of their own terms, because of the grace that he's already showed them, because of the power that he has. They recognize that their immediate inheritance and possession, the moment they believe in Jesus Christ, is what? Everlasting life. Zoe Ionios. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. Think about this statement. It's a phenomenal statement. First, Jesus is saying that I am essential for life. Second, he's saying the life here I'm referring to is not physical life, but is spiritual life, and it is eternal life. Jesus is trying to get these Jews away from their thinking of the physical realm and move into the spiritual realm. He's contrasting here what he brings as their Messiah with the bread that he miraculously created when he fed those 5,000 people. He wants them to know that, hey, physical bread perishes. I'm spiritual bread, and I bring eternal life. John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. On two other occasions, we see Jesus miraculously feed thousands of people in the wilderness. What is he doing here, Pastor? He's reenacting the events from Moses' day when God provided manna from heaven to his people who were in the desert. The day after Jesus first fed these people, many of them returned hoping for more food, looking for another sign. Jesus claims that he himself was the bread. He himself is a manna that came down from heaven. He had come down from heaven to the wilderness, their spiritual wilderness, as they were wandering as a lost people. And then Jesus goes further, associating himself with that bread and telling them if they would truly come to him in faith, they would never hunger or thirst again. Think about this. This is an agrarian society in the first century. Jews and everyone else understood how essential it was to have bread. Bread was essential to basic survival. There was no endless supply available to them at Meyer or Kroger. Simply put, without bread, there was no life. Even today, almost everything we eat, except for those of us who like sushi, 
Almost everything we eat comes from something that has died. Dead animals provide us meat. Dead wheat gives us bread. Dead vegetables, we come from plants. We see how other life dies that we might live. Jesus' words here take on a significant meaning. I am the bread of life. This is another way of saying, without my death, you cannot live. Just as bread is an essential element in the human diet, Jesus is saying, I am an essential element in your spiritual life. I am the foundation of your spiritual life. Without my death, nobody else can live. Those who come to me, I will end their hunger. I will quench their thirst. Even today, many people, it's hard for them to swallow that Jesus is more than just some religious teacher. But he is the very bread of life. And all those open-minded and diverse people who leave room in their lives for the belief in other religious figures will ultimately starve to death. The reminder here that Jesus is giving them, he resorts to a metaphor. And if Jesus, the opponents of Jesus really, found his words to be unacceptable, earlier in verses 35 through 48 when he was using this claim of the bread of life. Now he reinvents and the metaphor itself, and he really extends it because now he's using the terms of eat and being fed. They really dominate the passage. Look at John 6, 49 through 50. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. You see, he's making a contrast here from what happened in the Old Testament and that he is the bread of life. Look at John 6, 30 through 33. So they said to him, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's making a greater contrast here. He wants them to understand that the true bread is heaven sent. It has the ability not just to sustain them in their natural life, but also in their spiritual life. And what proof does he offer here? I think it's irrefutable. He says, your fathers ate, the, ate that bread, and what happened to them? They all died. 
By contrast, he says, I am the bread of heaven, and anyone who eats of me, when he says eats of me, he means to receive him by faith, to believe in him. They will receive eternal life, though you die, yet you live. He goes further in John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is the life of the world, which is my flesh. Here you see something. He's going to come again, recapitulate the last two verses that we dealt with a couple weeks ago in Verse 35 and 48, he portrays himself as this living bread. Now remember this phrase, the living bread, this expression is synonymous with the bread of life. And then he comes back in his third sentence and he says, this bread, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, this clause always brings up and calls to our mind the understanding of the Lord's communion. Look at Matthew 14, 22 through 24. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, I think it's interesting in what John is showing us in the sixth chapter. John uses the term flesh. He uses sarks instead of soma, which means body. And every time it's found in the New Testament that he's speaking of Christ himself, he speaks of sarks instead of soma. If we look at John uh, 1.14, it says, and the word became flesh. He uses sarks there because this passage, uh, again, speaks clearly of Jesus. What I'm saying here is that John is really getting at the fact that this doesn't point to communion. It points to Jesus. It points that to the fact that the Word incarnate, the Word of God became flesh, and now Jesus is able to give that flesh for the life of the world. And then even when you look at the second clause here, you see it's meant in a sacrificial sense. Because if the bread of life is Jesus, then what is Jesus given but himself? Look at how the, the prepositions work here. For the life of the world. Who pair? And this is repeated in John over and over whenever there is a sacrificial context. Look at John 10 and 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep who pair. John 10, 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep who pair. John 15, 13, 
Greater love has no one than this than someone lays down his life for his friends who pair. Jesus is presenting himself earlier in John that he is what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He himself who gives his flesh in a voluntary, is a voluntary sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, watch this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah. His suffering is vicarious. He gives us his all. John 6.45 says this, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We keep seeing this central thought here of Christ being this suffering servant. Christ gives himself for the life of the world. John 3, 15 through 17. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God has given us all. He's given us his best when he gave us Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life, and his flesh is true food. We see a ruckus that's happening here in verse 52 of chapter 6 of John. Look what it says. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They had a sharp argument among themselves. John uses the verb here, makomai, and he tells us that any simple-minded people could recognize that Jesus wasn't speaking literally here. He's not advocating cannibalism, but he's, he's not offering himself as a meal, but he's offering himself as the Savior of the world. He's offering himself in one that is worthy of of their belief. Again, he's continuing in this attempt to sway them from the physical idea to the true spiritual idea. He continues to make this contrast. He compares and contrasts himself with the manna that Israel had eaten in the time of Moses. Their ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here, 
the bread that comes down from heaven, everyone who eats of it will live. We find out here that after he establishes this metaphor and he's speaking of faith in him, he presses the symbolism even further. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, which I am offering to the world that the world may live by my flesh. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. He's trying to make sure that he's not misunderstood again. Later on in John 6, 63, we will see a clearer explanation of this when he says these words. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yeah, there were many who misunderstood what Jesus was saying here and that were offended uh, by his talk of eating the flesh and drinking the blood. They were stuck in this physical mindset, ignoring the things of the spirit. They're concerned about another physical meal, and Jesus is trying to teach them what is really vital, what he's trying to teach them spiritual truth. And we will deal with that in detail next week, when you see many people turn away from Jesus because of the two things they're having trouble with. Verse 44, when he tells them that no one can come to me unless the Father draws me. And here, when he tells them they must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I want you to remember something about success in a congregation sometimes. Jesus starts off here with over 20,000. By six, by verse 70, he has 12 again. Because when the commitment and the standard is raised, the chaff will always fall out. You see, the goal of any pastor is to have a congregation that he might build a church. You didn't get that. To have a congregation that he might build a church from the congregation. Look what John says in chapter 6, verses 53 through 54. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. You see, he's repeating the truth that he's already given us in verse 651c. But now he kind of puts it in a conditional form. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Then in verse 54, he puts the same truth in a positive form. Whoever eats my flesh has eternal life. 
and both he promises to raise up that person on the last day. You see, the one who eats the flesh of the one who bears this title, the Son of Man, the one who is the God-man, the one who has the seal of God's approval upon him, the one who is the bread that came down from heaven, the one that ascends and descends, the one that is the very Son of Man. This title, Son of Man, speaks of Jesus as a man in whom God is supremely pleased and revealed to drink his blood. The law of Moses, remember the the law of Moses forbade the drinking of blood. It even, look at the Old Testament, it even forbade the eating of meat with blood still in it. So to drink the blood of the Son of Man for them was intuitively uh, horrifying. But Jesus makes the claim all the more scandalous because also think about the symbolic reference of blood throughout the New Testament. It speaks of a violent death, often of something that has been ended in a sacrifice. It wouldn't have been hard for these people to think about what happened on the cross. So to see him speak about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, even with the promise of being raised up on the last day, had to be challenging for them. But there's a connection here when he tells us that to eat Christ and to drink his blood is to believe in him. It's one thing to believe God or believe in God is another thing to believe God. And that's a question that you need to ask yourself day in, day out. Do I believe God or do I just believe in God? We recognize here that Jesus is true food and his blood is true drink. He insists time and time again that we are to remain in him. And if we remain in him, what is the promise? He will remain in us. Look at John 1, 32 through 33. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a further relationship that develops here. That's Trinitarian. But look at the further relationship that develops between Christ and his believers in John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide. What does it mean to abide? Dwell, right? 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. A believer is to remain in Jesus, which means he or she continues to be identified with Jesus, continues to live like a Christian, continues to show evidence of saving faith, and consequently has a transformation in their life. Jesus remains in them. He identifies himself with the believer. There's not... uh, a reciprocal trust and transformation, but he does what? He blesses us. He gives us life. He provides personal, his personal presence by the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14, 23 through 27. Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus already promised us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Not the peace of this world, but the peace that he has given us. That means that we should not be flustered by what happens in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Step away from your television and step into your prayer closet and stop worrying about everything you hear. There's nothing wrong with being cautious. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Be cautious. Stay, uh, build up your immune health, but trust Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. He tells us those who feed on him will have eternal life. The Father sent Jesus, and the Father is the living Father. He is the God who has what? Ascetity. He's the God who has life in himself. The living God who sent the Son, he established that the Son would have life in his self and that the Son would be able to give life to others. John 5, 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John 5, 24 through 27, truly, truly, 
I said to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he's the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying here in, a, in an analogous way? He's saying that the one that feeds on me is going to live. Because I have the authority to give life to whomever I will. Because the Father, I live because of the Father. Because of the Father's determination, Jesus has life in himself. That means that as Christians, eternal life happens the moment we accept him through faith. There is no genuine spiritual life. I, you know, I'm, I've had enough where people keep telling me, oh, pastor, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. There is no genuine spiritual life that, is, that exists independent of Jesus. When we look at verse 58 of chapter 6, you'll see something that's interesting here. It's a bracketed statement, kind of. We're really not bracketed physically where you can see it, but it's called a, an inclusio. It's a literary device that opens and closes a passage with the same or similar words. If you look back, look back in your Bibles for a moment and look at John 6 and 35. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and who believes in me shall not thirst. Then go to 48, John 6, 48. I'm the bread of life. So it begins and ends with the same or similar words. Then you look at verse 49. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Then go to verse 59, or 58, you probably in your Bibles. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So again, he's building and building and building this understanding of what you saw, even though it was amazing that God did through Moses. That was only a preview of who I am. I am the true bread from heaven. I alone have the power to enable one to feed on me. I give the fullness and the duration of eternal life. You know, when we think about fullness and duration of life, it reminds me of Reverend Hensley, a great preacher of a past generation, that spoke of his experience before he died. He said, I remember a year ago 
when the doctor told me I had an illness from which I would not recover. I walked around five miles from my home and I looked across the road at a mountain that I loved and I looked at a river which always made me rejoice and I looked at the stately trees of the property that were poetry to my soul. Then in the evening I looked up to the great sky and I saw God lighting his lamps which we commonly call stars. And then I said to all of them, I might not see you many more times, but remember this mountain. I shall live when you are gone, and river, I will be alive when you cease running. And stars, I will still be alive when you fall from the sky. And then he quoted Revelation 6 and 13. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a strong gale. But thanks be to God Almighty, I have God's salvation to replace all of you. You see, Hensley understood that salvation was like Noah inviting a pagan in his day to place his trust in God's word and to come into the ark. He understood that some people view uh, salvation as Noah just offering a peg on the outside of the ark and saying to them, if you can just hold on through the storm, you will be saved. That's not what Hensley was talking about. He understood this. Salvation is not dependent on our holding on to God, but in our being securely held by God. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just love and praise you, and we thank you for this opportunity to come together. Lord, chastise us. Build us up on every leaning side. Let us recognize that you have not given us a spirit of fear. Let us recognize that you are as close as our next breath. Let us realize that we can trust in you, that you are worthy of our faith. And Lord, let us march on to the end, recognizing that there are certain things that we just can't lose. We can't lose because we're in your hand, and your hand is upon us. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.